We're getting into our wellness corner. Today we're talking about trauma-informed responses to gender-based violence and uh, sexual abuse. Numfundo Mohabi is uh, with the Center for Mental Wellness and Leadership. It's Numfundo, good morning to you. I hear you're out in Toyando. Thanks again for joining us today. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Yes, we are here in Tohoyando as I speak. I'm at the University of Benda. We are launching a project, we call it Collectively Addressing GPV here in Tohoyando. As you will know, in the States, Tohoyando is number five amongst the 30 hotspots of GPV. So we're here with the Old Michel Foundation and the Colin Mashawane Foundation and other partners such as Univent to really stay. We'll be here for about six months to work with the community here on how to do the work. You know, maybe we can use Toyando as as a case study for the conversation you want us to have today around a trauma-informed response to gender-based violence. But let's talk about what the rate of violence that uh, we're looking at in in, in a community like that is. Yeah, so there is a trend, because before we came to Toyando, we were working at Lusikisiki. And interestingly, both Toyando and Lusikisiki are areas that are fast growing in terms of urbanization, but they are surrounded by villages. So they still have very strong sort of traditional values, but also this rapid um, increase of violence at the same time. So we were puzzled ourselves to say, you know, these used to be peaceful areas. Why are they now like on the top five? And I think we, we are beginning to see, Kathy, what happens when as a society, we don't understand sometimes the impact of trauma and the fragmentation that it brings in communities. And I think what we are discovering here is that there's a lot of people, NGO, civil society, government doing work, but we are not united, we are fragmented. And that's why I've been saying, just from a perspective of trauma-informed uh, GPV, that as a society, we've done a lot of work, Kathy. We have policies, we have the national strategic plan, we have support from the highest political leader, which is the president. He had a summit. But I think the next phase for us to win sexual and gender-based violence is going to be our capacity to work collectively together. And being able to work collectively together means that we need to tap into our human capital, the individuals that are doing the work, We need to tap into our social capital, our capacity to work as teams and as groups. But what we know is that when there is deep wounding and trauma, that can impact the speed of trust. Egos can come in, people can misunderstand each other, there could be miscommunication. So for me, I think Venda is an example of how do we really do this at a local level and ensure that we are able to address uh, sexual and gender-based violence. So in terms of just giving our listeners a sense of the, the, the social issues that you're there to deal with, what are you seeing happen in that communities? What do some of the figures around gender-based violence look like? So I think, I mean, the first thing is what I usually say that for me, for us, gender-based violence is a symptom of something deeper that happens in society. 
and that you need to understand it within a con within a larger context of violence and violence prevention. So we are hearing, of course, here and, and from the university that works with surrounding places, that there has generally been an increase of violence around here. There has been uh, some formations of gangs as young people are trying to find themselves. We are finding that, um, especially the elderly are telling us that, you know, with the democratization and um, urbanization, the forms of disciplining children that used to work for them don't work anymore. So they feel like they don't have control uh, over those. There's been an introduction. Um, so a lot of some of the students that come to the university, they end up not having money. So there's an increase of sex work which of course is criminalized now. So they, um, so these young girls are also not uh, affected, uh, protected. So in increase of rape, they can't even go to the police to report that. But what we are also finding is that there is a lack of appreciation that intimate, like the violence within the marriage or intimate relationship is also SGPV. That is not fully understood or appreciated as SGPV. So there needs to be work to be done around there. But of course, Kathy, the usual thing, the increased inequality. So what we are finding here is that there is a group of people that are um, firstly getting really educated and getting rich, but there's also a group that is getting left out. And we know that there is a correlation between inequality and increase in violence generally and SGPV specifically. And a lot of young men and men are saying that um, we feel that women have got more power but the men have not been trained on how to, or given skills on how to deal with that power that women actually have. Uh, but also, of course, brokenness within families and really wounded families that are producing this broken and wounded men who then, of course, um, end up taking this on the most vulnerable people, which is the, the, the women. Sure. So, so, so quite then a, a lot of issues, I think, within the community that you are going to be trying to address. Um, what what does the work that you're going to be doing over six months then entail? So for us, I think the biggest thing, uh, Kathy, is that, um, as I said, I mean, we, we were here, this is our third visit, there's around like close to 50 uh, organizations, civil society organizations and NGOs that have been doing work for the longest time here. And there has been a trend and we are trying to understand what that has been like, what has influenced that where money has been withdrawn from civil society. So a lot of them are doing it voluntarily. So we are trying to, um, unfortunately, we are working with Old Mutual, we are working with Colin Mashawane Foundation, which is the private sector to say they need to bring in local businesses to support this work. So our work here is about bringing all of these organizations together. And as the National Strategic Plan suggests that we need to have a local collective structure that brings in government, um, traditional leadership, universities, civil society, CPOs to work together. So what we would really like to do is that by the time we live here, we're going to have a structure similar to what we had at Lusikisiki when we worked there. They, they already had it. They call it the Lusikisiki SGPV combat team. And we've seen that it's so powerful when you have a structure 
that holds everything together, that is organized, that is supported. They even have a WhatsApp where they communicate if there is a hotspot, something is happening. But what's happening in Toyando, there isn't that. Everyone is just doing their own thing. So for us, we would like by April when we leave here, there would have been that structure that is supported. We hope that um, a business is going to start supporting civil society and the community-based organizations that are doing great work All right. so that they can continue to do that work. All right. We'll continue the conversation with uh, Nomfundo Mohabi, of course, uh, after the latest headlines, then we'll find out exactly what a trauma-informed response uh, to gender-based violence is. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation with Nomfundo Mohabi. She's with uh, the Centre for Mental Wellness and Leadership. So uh, the, uh, our focus for today, uh, says Nomfundo, is a trauma-informed response. This is to gender-based violence and sexual abuse. Firstly, help us understand what that actually is. Yeah. So so as um, we had been saying in some of our series, Kathy, I just wanted to emphasise again that when we are talking about it, trauma approaches and wounding, it's at two levels. There's the first one, which we have done a lot, and maybe people can look at the podcast where it's trauma-focused. We are saying, can we understand what trauma is? Can we offer counseling and support to the people that are affected by trauma? Can we offer healing for for victims? What When we talk about the trauma-informed approach, we are saying, how do we use the lens of trauma? How do we use trauma, first of all, to appreciate that whoever is interacting with our systems, our organizations, uh, whether it is not just the victim, but the, the people that are in the organizations that are supposed to prevent SGPV, the churches, that they themselves have a role to play in addressing trauma. But it is also about working with leaders and saying what is the mindset of these leaders that we expect to actually deal with SJPV. Because I think that's one of the crises in South Africa, that we have leaders that play lip service, right? There is like a disconnect. So people find a disconnect between those that are professing to do anti-SJPV work and what they do privately in their lives. And so when we talk about trauma-informed SJPV, we are saying that we needed to use the trauma lens from individual level, the victims and perpetrators to institutional level, how our organizations work, how we treat the SGPV victims in hospitals, in schools, and then of course at a leadership level. And finally, Kathy, which is, I mean, our focus here in Tohoyando, how do we use the trauma lens to ensure that we collaborate with each other, that we work in synergy, rather than finding ourselves doing great work, but there's fragmentation, there's egos, because all of us bring in our trauma in how we do this work, and we ignore it as if it doesn't exist, but it sabotages whatever we are trying to do. So how differently, then, does this trauma-informed response, how how, how, how different would, would the implementation of some of these policies and ideas need to be uh, from what they already are if they were to have that trauma-informed perspective? Yeah, a really good question, Kathy. So I think for us, when we are looking at the trauma-informed uh, approaches, 
it is not as much the content because I think we have great content. I mean, our policies are great. The NSP is great. The question now is how do we begin to implement it within our different organizations? So for example, Kathy, if we are going to talk about working collectively together, and we saw during the, the summit, we have people that are bringing their trauma into the summit. We are not able to hear each other. We are screaming at each other. We are shouting at each other. Trauma-informed approach begins to say, even before we, we come in, guys, and work together, let us talk about trauma. Let us train ourselves about trauma. Let us train ourselves about what happens when we are triggered. Let us make sure that everyone that does the work has got the emotional intelligence to know. When I'm sitting here and as Nomfundo, somebody does something that makes me angry and I am triggered, the automatic response, as we have said it, it's either to, to attack them or to shout, but that doesn't help us. So the people that are doing the work, they need to have the emotional intelligence. It also has to do with, with uh, saying that we have great policies. We ask people to come to our organizations, but how do we ensure that we don't re-traumatize people? Because we have a lot of organizations that look good on paper, but the, some of the victims will tell you, I will never go there because of how I'm treated. So trauma-informed approaches have got like six principles that say you need to treat people with dignity and respect. You need to assume that they bring trauma, give them a sense of a voice in terms of the work that they actually do and how they do their work. And also trauma-informed responses hold the leaders to account, right? We say that it's not good for you to just stand there in the podium and profess that you've got great policies. But trauma-informed approaches then ask you to say, how are you holding yourself? What are your conversations in private about women? What are the things that you said? For example, Kate, what we are doing now, like as a collective, when one of us says something that actually contradicts gender to say, oh yeah, the women are emotional, we'll say, no, 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 no. Because we are trauma-informed, we are holding ourselves also to account. Because that's the crisis we have in our country, is that we have got great policies that we have, but they are implemented by broken and wounded people. We bleed on the very same policies. And, and we almost like victims have this cognitive dissonance. They're like, yeah, these people say they want to help me. And I go to them, they say they're helping me, but I feel worse off because of how they are treating me and they haven't been trained on, it's not just good to get the money and say you're doing the work, it's treating people with respect and dignity. It's being aware of yourself. So a trauma-informed approach does that, Kathy. It looks at the condition of our hearts and our minds as the people that are doing the work, as the people that are interfacing with those that have been affected. But the other thing for me, Kathy, it also, trauma-informed approaches says, let's begin to also bring in the, 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 the people that we call perpetrators. Let's understand the trauma that they are bringing and how, whilst we hold them to account and we have to, we also have to look at how they get healed. Because most of the time inside um, perpetrator, there's a traumatized boy in from that has not dealt with their own trauma. So that's really like the package of what we mean by trauma-informed SJPV. When we look at some of the figures, you know, says Numfundo, ironically, of where we are with gender-based violence crime in this country, uh, it shows that it's, it is on the increase. Um, but one of the things that I was noting this morning is how over half of uh, something like rape takes place at the home of the perpetrator, 
or at the home of the victim. What does that tell us about the pattern of violence, in particular violence against women in this country? Yeah. So, Kathy, for me, SGPV is, is a symptom of a really broken and wounded society. You need to look at the SGPV stats that you're talking about and correlate it with other stats. So the fact that we have, we've had close to 95% increase of suicide amongst younger men in South Africa. The fact that our mental health stats has also increased significantly in this country. The fact that we have, we are increasingly seeing broken families all of these are an indication that we are a society that despite the great policies that we have and the legal systems and we are moving in that we are not aligning that with the understanding and appreciating that as long as we are we are we've got broken families we've got broken and wounded young men who increasingly feel useless and worthless because they can't find jobs because they are mistreated in their homes that as long as we have a society that increasingly treats women as less than that we will continue to have this sgpv so for me the the and this interpersonal violence and the fact that actually the majority of the cases is within relationships it's showing us that we've got a relationship crisis in this country. And that is where we need to do the work. The work has to be at a social and at a, at a human capital level. We've done the best in, in the policies and the, in the legal systems and holding people to account. But at a, at a, at a capital, at a human capital and social level, at, at capacitating South Africans, Kathy, on like, how do you deal with your own brokenness? How do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with this sense of worthlessness? How do you regain a sense of self-worth? This seems like soft issues that we take for granted, but they are the issues that inform the hardest steps that we are actually seeing. And, and, and I want you to, 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 to go a little bit deeper on, on that issue because one of my next questions to you was going to be, in an area like where you are today in Toyando that has these very high numbers of uh, gender-based violence what then do you find to be a leading cause of this violence especially when you're speaking then just to members of of the community whether it is the young people whether it is the elderly um, that have complained whether it is those that are in in relationships and, and even just refusing to acknowledge that gender-based violence in a relationship context is wrong and that it is violence. Yeah, so the thing we are seeing, Kathy, and, and I mean, we're seeing this across and we're seeing it here in Toyando. So it's easy when, like, when people are trying to explain GPV, it's easy for them to explain, like, I'll call it the hard stuff, right? No, the money stuff, the increased poverty, uh, the gangs, the democracy. But because we are not a society that has the kind of education we need to understand the, our own psychological architecture, our own trauma and how it impacts the way we show up, we don't even bring it into conversations. It is those of us that specialize with trauma when we observe people and how they interact, when you realize that you, you have 
really a society here that has got great pride in themselves. And when you have this great pride in yourself and you don't have a job, um, and when as a man, your worth is defined according to what you bring in the table, when that has been taken away and the society make you feel like you are in nothing, that then influences the relationship with yourself and then, of course, the relationship with your partner who's an extension of yourself. So what we are finding is that the more nuanced understandings of the psychological architecture that drives the violence is not understood in our society. Actually, it, it gets pushed away, like, ah, it's not our thing. So there's a lot of, like, work that we're hoping to do in the next six months where we are going to do training on what is trauma, how does it show up, what is your own trauma, how are you bringing it, to also then just begin to shift, Kathy, uh, our narrative. Because what we find is that when we use a narrative that doesn't appreciate trauma, it tends to be very punitive and attacking and labeling and it feeds the shame even more and doesn't help people to be more transformative so the the trauma language helps you to still deal with the issues but in a way that is more empathic to say you are broken and wounded can you see it your wounding and, and and brokenness and can you deal with it because it is driving this violence so yes we are seeing that that you know the explanations are not deeper and the explanations are almost external you blame the external stuff. I am not part of the problem. It is what happens or is this government with their democracy? Is these people that are not giving us money? No, 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 no. Is this women that have more power? But I am not the problem. And and the trauma for it takes you in in an empathic way into yourself and say, Okay, let's sit and talk. How are you doing it? I mean, you will even see it, even the way they will talk to us, people will talk to us, for example, as as women to say, Oh, there is no insight that even the way I treat you, the way I talk to you as a woman is part and parcel of the whole, um, the issues that contribute to us gender-based violence. So it is those nuanced psychological stuff that we have to begin to address in our country if we are really to deal with SGPV. It takes a lot of effort and, and a lot of work um, to be able to, I suppose, truly unpack some of the issues that, that you're talking about on an individual level. And it's it also requires that, um, you know, the person you're doing this work with comes on board. They have to be a, an active participant uh, in this conversation. What are you finding there? Yeah. And I mean, I'm glad that you've, you've just packaged it like that, Kathy, because we are also trying to... Um, contribute in expanding the narrative in our country around what it will take to shift GPV. And part of it is that we have taken this inner work, this this hard work, because it seems so so difficult and so hard and requires effort. It's, we tend to deflate into, and these are also important, I'm not saying we shouldn't do them, but it's easy to deflate into, you know, Let's have the policies, let's have the law, let's have the institutions, but let's not work on ourselves. And our call is that, guys, we can't do this work without working on ourselves. I, I Even me being in this field, I'm still learning about how sometimes I perpetuate because of my own internalized gender biases. I still perpetuate these things. So definitely 
if we are really want to shift this paradox we have where we keep on investing more and more but the things get worse the greatest and the most important work of south africa is working on ourselves if we don't do that unfortunately katie the the theories around trauma the theories around our neurobiology we've talked about is showing us that even the most well-designed plans and policies if they are given in the hands of broken people they are not going to work so what you are saying i think is spot on and i'm hoping that as a country we have this awakening of understanding that doing the inner work is not just a luxury it's not just something that you do in private practice with psychologists it is part of, it has to be part and parcel of everything we do and 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 that is what trauma informed work uh, Katie, which is growing rapidly in other parts of the world in europe america because they are all beginning to see this but i'm worried that in south africa we are left behind we are not catching up with the research and what's happening around what does it really take in a society that is that has trauma to shift and make sure that our interventions are impactful mm. are there particular challenges that that you would say you have identified in the line of work that you do that prevents people from making that shift or even having that acknowledgement around the need to have these conversations the need to look at themselves look deeper and understand that psychological makeup as 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 you explaining to us you know in your terms it it sounds quite complex but when you break it down it's something that i think each of us can can relate with yeah i i mean i think there's there is a number of uh, reasons kept that we we come across of course i mean the first one i've already said it that even for us as the psychosocial practitioners the way we have been taught um we don't have translators right people who take this amazing this knowledge that we are learning about human beings and trauma psychological architecture neuropsychology i mean universities uh, in south africa are producing knowledge but that knowledge is not being translated into a language that people on the street can understand to say okay you know like what does this really really mean for me so there's the need for those translators right but also there is this tendency to um and i see it a lot so sometimes when i meet people i don't even call myself a psychologist because the minute i say i'm a psychologist they block me or oh, you are western you're going to read our minds so i usually just you know i'll say to people i'm an sgbv activist in private sector i'll say i'm a coach then people are much more open so this stigma that exists about psychology and what what people say i then psychology is western which is a theme is a myth in and of itself Kathy because um a lot of the principles in psychology are very much grounded in our own principles uh, as Africans but also most most importantly Kathy is interesting we we were attending this men's conference that was facilitated by the father uh, fatherless uh, foundation and the facilitator asked the men to look each other in the eye for a long time they were so uncomfortable kate most of them said it was the most uncomfortable thing i had to do i felt naked one of the men said guys any why show me suzul what you mina benti njengimshaye lo muntu but what we learned was it is painful to look within you feel naked it is the most difficult thing to do to sit and look in yourself 
but it is the most powerful and most impactful thing to do when you give yourself the permission to do that because of the shame that comes with it, because of the difficulty of having to put down everything that we've learned about how to hide our pain, especially for men. So those are some of the reasons, Katie, that this work is difficult to do. But I think for me, I'm hopeful that we... You have like, for example, I mean, with the old mutual foundation and with, uh, I always talk about who comes in as the lead and maybe that's where the private sector can come in case, because now you have um, this funder who says, Nomfundo, I hear what you're saying. I don't know exactly what it might, how we measure this, but I believe it's an important thing. Please come on board. So they bring someone like me in their interventions and then they're able to slot me in the, their high-level meeting and introduce this concept of trauma. And when, when once I'm in the platform with people, it does really land. So the issue is how do you take people like us and put them in the platforms where we usually wouldn't be put in? Because the reality is people are not, the majority of people are not going to go to therapy case. So how do you bring therapy to people in a language that they actually understand? And, and, and you know, what you're saying is just so fascinating because I'm thinking about then how this plays out at a community level. Um, this point of everybody going to therapy, practically impossible. So how do you make sure that the message filters through um, in a way that will become meaningful in the long run? Because I would imagine that even some of the sessions that you hold, of course there will be those individuals who are committed and who want to participate in the sessions. Um, and there's always the debate, right, around whether these are the people that are already not committing the crimes um, and, mm. and, and, and those that need to be found or that need to be spoken to are not even interested in, in some of these mm. sessions? Mm. Really critical question, Kate. And for me, what, what excites me about the trauma-informed approach as, as, as um, compared to trauma-focused approach, it says that we have to go to the spaces where people are at and we have to shift how we begin to work. For example, the role of leadership, Kate, is so, so critical. We are now like here in Toyando, we are beginning to work with the, the Toberas, I hope I'm saying it correctly, the chiefs, to say that when they have their own um, meetings, like they bring us to talk to their leaders because leaders are key translators of this information. Most of these men are going to listen more to, to chiefs than us. So when we capacitate the chiefs to have that kind of language that we have, we begin to create the shift. We work with, with churches, with faith-based organizations. A lot of people are going to go to them. So for us is to really work with the people where they are at and with those that are actually influence them. So sometimes, for example, you'll have chiefs call us and say, we have a Lihutla Nomfundo, can we give you 30 minutes to talk about this stuff? Sometimes they will have, um, for example, in KZN, we had a meeting where the chief will take the boys out, you know, for a for a weekend camp. Then they will ask us to say, oh, we're going to give you a session to talk to these young boys. So for me, it's about slotting in these things in what we are already doing. Some people will call us in taverns, right, and say, Nomfundo, oh, we have a tavern, we have this event, come and talk to us, because that's where the people are. So we have to go and reach people where they are at, but we have to capacitate the people that I call the translators who are already influential, 
who already have the ear of the communities to then be the ones that created. And trauma-informed approaches says just the way you treat people, the language that you use, how you interact with them, it's also a critical component of healing. It's not only about people doing therapy and counseling that will facilitate that. So, so uh, I guess by saying that, then when you have these sessions, uh, you know, I, I, and I, I'm, I'm loath to use this example, right? But um, I, I think it'll be important for purposes of the conversation. Some of the feedback that we get from from some listeners when we're talking about gender-based violence um, is basically an attitude that says, well, um, you know, the the feminists as they describe them that you always bring onto the show. Um, they, 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 they're so harsh, they, they don't speak, yeah. they don't have anything nice to say about men. And so therefore it discredits what they are saying. Um, of yeah. course, the, the natural reaction from somebody like me is to say, no, you know, that is, that is not the point. In fact, even the fact that you're saying that shows that you are part of the problem. So I'm assuming yeah. your sessions go a lot different <laughs> to, 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 to the example <laughs> I've just given you. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. I mean, I think there's definitely is space, you know, for feminist approach where we really have to push harder. But also there is a space, Kathy, uh, for more empathic approaches for more understanding that there are some people who are just completely asleep to themselves. So one of the things that we are doing, uh, for example, today, you have just done a match, and now um, at 11 o'clock, before our launch, we have a dialogue with men, and we are saying to them, you are partners with us, we want to work with you. Tell us what's your understanding of GPV, tell us what your understanding of the issues are. And once we build that relationship with them, we identify people that influence, then we identify change agents within the men who can actually talk to them. Because there are a majority of men who really wants to make a difference and shift. There are others who are just, they know they need to make a difference. It's interesting in this real conference, uh, some of the men in this um, the conference that was that was held by uh, the Fatherless Foundation, a lot of men said, you know, I told myself I will never hurt another woman again. I saw what my father did, but I didn't work with myself. I'm in my 40s now and I am repeating the cycle. It was only when I started doing the work that I realized how broken I really was. And I wasn't even aware how broken I was. So how do we really have conversations with those kind of men who want to change, but they don't know where to start because they can't make a link between the, the, the brokenness, the relationship that their parents had with them, the relationship they have with themselves, the, the, the how their father showed up with the relationship that they have about what it means to be a man. How do we have those so they can do the work without feeling the shame? Because most of the time, this thing of men saying, oh, I'm ashamed to be a man. You have all this shame, you stand in there, but it doesn't force you to get inside yourself and face that ugliness so that you can be able to transform. Wow, Fundo, that, that, that's really powerful. And people that are asleep to themselves? Sure. Yeah. Who are the people that are asleep to themselves? That that is just that is so insightful. Yeah, I think for me, Kate, as I always say, is that the biggest crisis of South Africa mm. is not just that we are traumatized or broken; is that we are asleep to it, and because we are asleep to it, 
our wounds are bleeding on everyone. They are bleeding on our, on the people that we love through SGPV. They are bleeding on our families through child abuse. They are, they are bleeding on our institutions through broken leaders. So we need to have processes that wake us up. For me, even if we can begin to say, oh my gosh, and that's what I saw with the real men. I mean, that work with the Fatherless Foundation for me was so powerful because most men said, oh, when I begin to wake up, and I actually realized how broken I am. That's when I, I was able to begin to break the cycles of SGBV. Mm. So maybe our biggest work is to wake up our men, is to wake up us as women who are raising these men, as men who are raising these men, is to wake us up as leaders who profess to be anti-SGBV, but we ourselves are so broken that we repeat the very same cycle. Maybe that is the message, you know, hashtag wake up South Africa. All that right. is what we need, Kithi. Nomfundo yeah. Mohapi, let me thank you so much for your time. As always, she's the director for the Center for Mental Wellness and Leadership.